All right. Well, get started. You should just kick off. Um, we just came back from MJ BizCon, what, two weeks ago? Yeah. Everybody uh, COVID-free at this point? Who got sick? I got sick. You got sick? Yeah, I got sick. In the yeah. clear. You guys are in the clear? But, yeah. You guys, yeah. your mom must have breastfed you or something because mm-hmm. I got sick too. I'm sure. no, I, went, I went to bed at 10 o'clock. That's what it was. Oh, every I night? Stay up oh, no. Yeah, no, I went to bed at like two or three, so I missed the COVID by a couple hours. Yeah, I was staying up pretty late too. <laughs> did you get COVID, Walt? I did. You did? Yeah, you yeah. tested positive? Positive, yeah. yeah. It wasn't too bad though. No, but what? I was staying up pretty late. Well, it was crazy. My, <clears throat> my wife thinks I got COVID. And I think I got COVID, but I tested negative twice. And I heard some people testing negative still get COVID and then some, oh, and they still pass it. You know, they're still contagious. Right, right. I don't know if it's true or not, but. Yeah, I fully recovered though. It was like eight days out, but a lot of people were. How many out. days were you in bed? Like four. Four? Yeah, Heavy. four days. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was two. I was two in bed down. Oh, not out, not not eating, nothing. It was no fun time. times though. So many people got COVID. Everybody got COVID. Everyone. Yeah. I think Ryan sent me a text. Are you sick? I'm like, no. He's like, everyone's sick except me and you. <laughs> <laughs> we were hanging out the whole time. <laughs> we must have just like swerved it. Yeah, right. You guys got some Viking jeans or something. And we just ditched we just ditched it. We just ditched the vid. Um, why don't we just introduce ourselves and we'll start with Walt and then end up at Rob. Go ahead. Cool. Uh, Walt right here um, with Jungle Boys uh, running the nursery, uh, propagating uh, clones. So I pretty much uh, started as a trimmer through Jungle Boys and fell in love with cloning. And now I'm where I'm at. So, yeah, taking thousands and thousands of clones and rooting them and sending them off to the boys to grow fireweed. And the originator of the VPD Dome. The VPD the VP Dome. The yeah. VP Dome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll, we'll get into that later. And then Mike. Uh, my name is Mike. Um, on Instagram, everyone knows me as Mike Hydro. I run the tissue culture lab at Jungle Boys. Me and Walt kind of work adjacent as like the nursery division. We have all of the, the genetic catalog and we also push out all the clones for the flower rooms. I'm Rob. I run the product team here at Athena. And uh, basically in charge of making sure that we bring good products to market and uh, work with guys like Mike and Walt to, uh, to create some pretty cool stuff. Yeah, we dropped three products at MJ, Fade, VP Dome, and the Tissue Culture. Um, you know, really a lot of, all of them were pretty innovative, but one of the ones that you know, we were most excited about was, was the tissue culture kit, which is, you know, really cool. Super cool. Um, that was your idea, Mike, back, uh, when we did that original podcast, that's kind of how it all kicked off. Super collaborative idea. So it started as kind of like an idea that snowballed into a whole, um, thing, right? It started as just like, Hey, we can probably release some gels and then people, could try them out and like dip their toe into the water. And then Brandon's like, well, what are you going to do with the gels? And I was like, well, you throw them in an autoclave. He's like, well, well, we better figure out how to make an autoclave then too. But then what do you do? I'm like, well, they got to get a flow hood. Well, what's a flow hood? Well, shit. I mean, now it's time for us to make a flow hood. So we ended up with um, a really, really innovative kit. It's small, but the size um, enables <clears throat> us to have portability that's never been done in the field kind of and never been done in that space. 
Um, and just the portability itself is almost just a super valuable um, asset to the whole TC kit. I mean, alongside all the positive benefits of tissue culture, just enabling more people to get out there and try more stuff. Um, that's like one of our favorite parts, I think. Yeah. It, as you know, for most cultivators, they, they look at TC as something that is out of their realm of possibility. Yeah. It's pretty intimidating, you know, for sure. I well, think, we, think what this team put together was something that is now in the realm of possibility where pretty much anybody can do it. Give it a shot. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, even if, I mean, it's kind of like, even if it's like you said, it's something you, you were too intimidated to try. It now gives you just access to try it. And if it's not for you, you still have all the knowledge you need. Or if it is for you, you could take it as a step stool to expand onto huge things. Who knows? You know, Mike, when did you get into tissue culture? Like about 2012. Um, I'd say in like 2014, I set up an Instagram mainly to show the tissue culture stuff. Um, for the last 10 years, I've been pretty much open source with it. Um, I made a lot of nice friends that way and a lot of interesting people that way as well. But I've, um, through Instagram, pretty much documented the entire process up until we're here today. And um, it was just years and years of people saying, help me, like, what can I what's the recipe? What's this? What's that? And I keep telling them like, you know, it's not just about a recipe recipe. It's about like aseptic techniques and standard operating procedures. And you can't just send someone an email and have them understand tissue culture. So for me, there's been a huge kind of like gap, like what I can actually provide all these people and what I'm capable of providing. Cause I'm just one guy. So this is kind of like the, a very cool robotic version of my, like it's clone of myself that we could actually just give out to a bunch of people you know, yeah. and then like, and then if you have future questions, it's a lot easier to say, well, did you turn it on? You know, <laughs> is the, is the, is it open? Is the, you know, when's the last time you changed your filters? And now we're having educated conversations with the consumer as opposed to them just saying like, what's in the gel? What is gel? You know, like, and you can well, talk there's about a lot to it. Yeah. Like, I didn't, I knew about tissue culture before and kind of the concept, right? Yeah. And then we started talking about it. It was like, what? This is, there's so much to this and it's really complicated. And I think there's a lot of knowledge out there, but it's in parts all over the place. Yeah. And it's really hard to assemble that. And you have to really, as a person, you have to really want to do it to go find all that knowledge. Right. So that was the big thing I learned just working with you was like, Hey, how do we distill this down into something that's actually simple? Cause it isn't, it isn't complex, really. It's simple moves over and over and over again, doing yeah. it right over and again and being patient uh, and careful, right? Yep. Um, it, was, it was pretty cool to see that all come together. Yeah, and you're a huge part of it. And it's kind of like, I think I mentioned it to you and a few of the other guys early on. I almost have to teach you all this before we could even build this product because if you don't understand it, you're not going to understand what the consumer is going to need in this product. Mm -hmm. So you almost have to know what you're doing to know like, like once you understood how we needed to make the flow hood, you're like, no, guys, this is our, this is the space we're working in. We're not putting our hand in the box. We made the box. It's yeah. an invisible box. And it has to blow at a certain rate. Right. All that kind of stuff. Right. right. And once to, you could wrap your head around the, the, the procedure, now you could actually educate people or we could educate people through this um, unit. How long, and the, the big magic is the roots and the shoots formula. That's, that's cause <clears throat> Putting that together and all the, the recipe is, is one of the most difficult parts that, that we did, right? Oh, yeah. Um, 
how long have you been working on that formulation? Forever. I mean, that's been just like anything. If you're, if you're a chef and your only job is to make one thing or two things for that matter, you're going to keep working on them forever. And I'll probably continue to keep working on them forever. But what we released is a, a very nice general starting point for most people to get, to get going. At the show, we were approached by a few more advanced level tissue culture people and they hit us with like questions. Well, if I buy this, is this going to work with my rare cut that I have to use special gel to, you know, propagate? I'm like, you know what, probably. But if you think that your gel has more optimum growth, tell me what, you know, they're just buying it off. But if you think you can do it, tell me what's in it. We're not trying to be this end all be all. We're trying to give the majority of people this base start. Do I think this gel will work with almost everyone's plants? Yes. Do I think it's possible to take this gel and find a rare strain that would like just a little bit? Of course. I mean, that's like everything, but we're not catering. Um, I mean, when I've released it, I wasn't trying to cater to the, the very small one percentile of people who already know what they're doing. I was trying to cater to everyone else. And then I think that the like I said, I think it's going to enable a lot of people to experiment. You know, there's there's tons of things you can add to gel and maybe things that we haven't even thought of yet, you know, and I'd be, be naive to say that I know everything because, you know, we're all still learning. What are, the, what are the major differences between roots and shoots? So the shooting gel's purpose is to trick the the little nodes or the X plants or the meristem into thinking it never left the host plant. So initially I thought tissue culture gel was kind of like a knockoff of soil that you made sterile, but that's not the case. What it's actually doing is it's convincing that little node that it was never even cut, that once it's in the gel, that gel is providing everything that the mother would be providing for that node. And so the node can continue to grow. It doesn't need to produce roots. And then you can start propagating off of that new growth. Now, our rooting formula has the rooting hormones. It has hormones required for plants to generate callus and root cells. So once you get a colony or enough, enough healthy material from your, your shooting vessels, then you can start pro- propagating into rooting vessels. Once these root, you could then take out the, from the container in your flow hood, wash off the gels, and put into whatever media you choose to grow in. Um, I've used cocoa. I've used rock wool. They both work just fine. Um, after you take things out of rooting, you're going to want to just kind of treat them like a seedling at first, high humidity, but then once they harden off, they're regular plants. So your shoots media is your mother stock. Yeah, storage, mother. You could also use shoots to plate out a bunch of a bunch of things just to see if they're filthy. I mean, another way to, so for our nodal propagation kit to be noted, you could put like 100 nodes in 100 vessels. You could discard all the dirty ones. And then you can propagate all the clean ones. And if this is a plant you'd never want to take out, like a mother stock situation, you would just take those clean plants and you'd propagate them back into another 25 vessels, into 100, and then still discarding your slowest growing individuals. So that by the time you do need to utilize this um, cultivar as a mother, you have a year, two years into the process of just picking the best of the best of the best of the best. So you're like selecting it if you have 100 of them you're looking at how they grow the growth patterns and just like popping seeds, you're going to look at like these five are the best. They're the most vigorous. Yeah. Throw the rest away and then redo those ones and keep repeating that process. Right. And so it's almost like how people would hunt, like you said, how people would be hunting seeds. You're just hunting that one cultivar for its best cells. And you're able to use every, like a bunch of different parts of that plant to find out where the fastest cells are growing. Um, Kind of a surprise is like when you get a clone, there's like three or four actual, you know, little mini clones you can take off that clone. 
And what I've noticed is sometimes it's the top growth that grows the best, but sometimes it's not. So now you have like, you know, a dozen clones that's like 40, 50 individual plantlets you can have, and you're still harvesting just the best of those. Was it always going to be the top? You don't know. Maybe the top is where there was thrip damage that vectored the disease, and maybe it was that smaller node on the bottom that was the only clean part. This is the way to tell. If you just plug and root, you have all four of those pieces all at once, you know, and then you have this plant that's kind of growing at a not a perfect rate, you know, from all of its branches. Are you no matter what going to start off in the roots, in the, in the shoots formula? Yeah. yeah. Always start off in the shoots. Always start off in the shoots because you're just trying to grow. You're trying to grow things into culture. If you were just to take a node and put it right into roots, you're just making a really small clone. Now, I guess... If you already had a tested mother and this is something you already knew or you some, for some reason had a purpose to have a bunch of one-inch tall um, clones, go, go right ahead into roots. But um, if your goal of tissue culture is to hold genetic material for a prolonged period of time, you're going to want to set it up in shoots. Now, if you did a meristem tissue culture, you would also start off in shoots? shoots. Yeah, you wouldn't need that thing to start rooting. Or if you, if, you in, if you included those same hormones that are in rooting, it might just callus up and you end up with just like a naughty group of cells as opposed to encouraging new growth, which is what you want from that meristem. On the tissue culture side, do you have anything, any procedures that you're working on that we're going to be releasing? Yeah, we're, we're releasing SOP videos for pretty much every procedure that we could think of. Um, and like I was mentioning before, we only know what we know, and as we grow, there's going to be more stuff to unveil. The, um, the, in addition to having the SOP right on the lid for everyone, we're also going to be following that procedural visually. So people who have more trouble or have less, and people who have, are visual learners and have more trouble reading that stuff will be able to just watch, and you'll be able to just reenact the whole video. With the same exact kit at home. Exactly. Same exact parts, kit, everything. Yeah. Yeah, because there's nuance to it, right? The the procedure on the back is each step, and it's really thorough. I mean, there's like, I don't know, 45, 50 steps on that. But there's like nuance about how you hold the vessel and where it's positioned in the hood. Yeah. And so the video will help to show some of the detail, right? Exactly. And then in addition to that, like I mentioned, there's going to be people who come up with more tricks and tips. And the better you get, the more you can simplify your actions. And so like I'd like to believe this unit is like 12 years in the making of those simplifications. So I already kind of took, I cut as many corners as I could for you guys, but I, um, you know, people will always find ways to cut even more corners. Uh, but there's, there's some very basic standard stuff that we'll be showing. That's kind of like also being displayed as a cartoon, but like I said, it'll be really nice to just see it happen in real time. Yeah. In real time on a video, you know, people are real visual. So yeah. doing it on a video and explaining what's going on. Like you could fix be... your car with a YouTube yeah. video. I know nothing mm-hmm. about cars and I fixed this little thing and I felt so proud. <laughs> yeah. this, old, this old guy just like, I'm like, okay, I got that. I think it's important that, you know, the customer knows that we're not going to leave them behind. You know, we're not, it's not just the SOP on the hood. It's, it's the, it's SOPs on videos. It's SOPs on booklets. I mean, it's a lot of stuff coming that we'll be working on, you know, probably before it drops. Well, it kind of felt like it was a lot of work putting it together and we launched it and it's a big deal. It's all cool and everything. And I was, I sat back and I was like, oh man, now we have to start working. Yeah. Like, yeah no, no, we just, <laughs> yeah, we just a lot. Now the work started. Just the tip of the iceberg basically. There's so yeah. much. 
Because even to like, even to get the SOPs on the lid, I remember they were written probably five or six times. Like the first time it looked like a Harry Potter novel. (laughs) The second time it was like this and that. And then when we got really close to the final draft, I remember like bugging um, Rob and a couple of the other guys, like someone's got to read this. That's not me. And they got to try it because you guys are making me proofread my own work. And I don't know where. I'm messing up because every time I read it, it looks good. Run it. But we found other problems with it. Tons. Right? Yeah, of course. Be- after other people because like every time someone would do it, they would go grab something wrong or like, and I would go, why are you using your left hand for that? Or, you know what I mean? And you're trying to figure, and they're like, well, that's, what am I supposed to do? Like, that's what it's, I'm like, no, it doesn't say, no, you're right. No, I'm wrong. You're right. Yeah. Like, so every time yeah. they would mess up, I got to go, okay, this is where I messed up. This isn't like their fault. This is my fault because we didn't explain it well enough to where. That was blatantly obvious. Well, you have muscle memory. You've been doing this for so long. Exactly. You forget about some of the details, right? Exactly. Those are the things. That's why I was saying, like, you guys can't just leave me to proofread this because I'm yeah. going to skip over some obvious stuff that's obvious only to me. And then to the viewer, they're like, why is, well, how's this not working? And I'm like, oh, shoot, my bad. <laughs> you know, no, autoclave's got to get turned on. This has got to get, okay, now we're on the same page, you know? And then it was really rewarding to see after like a couple of burn throughs with other people, we got like something that had no hitches. And then it got to the point where like now right out of the box, um, our whole display for the MJ BizCon was done by someone who hasn't really done that before, you know, and like the tissue cultures that were at the, all the subcultures, yeah. all the gels, all the vessels. Um, and there was probably 400, three or 400 there, I think. Right. There was, that rack was full. Right. And a bunch yeah, of that stuff like made it back, like still good. Yeah. Even through all that. I mean, so that's something to be said. Like imagine palletizing your whole library, putting it lights out for like two weeks, shipping, shipping it. it to your new location, <laughs> opening it up and having like 90% success on your, like, there's just something to be said right there. It was kind of cool. Hundreds of people coming by and touching it and messing with it. The yep. different environment there and then shipping it back. And it sat in a warehouse for like four days. It went to Vegas. Dark. Yeah, dark. Went to Vegas yeah. and back. like <laughs> Without COVID. Without COVID. <laughs> That's like the only thing that didn't come back with COVID. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Yeah, the, uh, it's pretty interesting to, to you know, look at the different aspects of what you can do with tissue culture. Like shipping um, internationally, nationally. Because you I mean you you're you're essentially just shipping tissue of a plant, which yeah. um, that's it's really neat. It's kind of like the Jurassic Park, um, you know, the whole Jurassic Park like thing where he's pulling out the little dinosaur bits. Like you could have a single cooler to represent an entire cattle. Um, yeah, an entire company for that matter. You yeah. know, like here's the SOPs on paper. Here's mm-hmm. your one lunchbox. Enjoy. You know, and then like they can take that and run with it. You know, and then. Um, just to think of like how that would happen nowadays, you'd have like this mom's in a one gallon pot, this one's in Rockwell, like here's my whole collection, but it's you know, have fun. Yeah. We uh we worked on the autoclave pretty heavily and I mean it started with a pressure cooker <laughs> and then we came to the conclusion that Athena can't drop a pressure cooker, period. It's not gonna happen. We gotta drop an autoclave. What's uh What's the coolest aspect of the autoclave? That- the one um, push button start. So we went through the trials of how long it takes for everything to happen. And then we figured like, are we going to write this, um, this mini novel? Like you have to have this pressure at this temperature at this time. And then 
we decided that we would do that for you guys and just program everything into one button. I should say two buttons. It's start and stop. So stop is a button, but... But you don't have to push stop. You don't, but you could, but you don't have to push it. No, so it's one button that all you have to push is one button. There you Can go. you go through the flow, like how that works? <laughs> just one button. Oh, we'll do it again on this yeah. time. Yeah, no, in case you miss that. Just... <laughs> start. And then, um, so you would... Um, so how an autoclave works is it's a like a pressure sterilizer. We, it heats up water beyond the temperature of boiling, and be, it's able to do this because of the pressurized lid, and it's it's locked in. You you apply just a little bit of water. There's a basket that sits inside. You would add any material you'd like to see sterilized into the basket. You'd close the lid. You twist the knob, and you would then hit start. That enables the whole cycle. After um, the cycle's over, what is, what is the cycle? The heat cycle. It's like that's what the the pressure and uh, time. Like what? Like what? Go through the. Well, we you we, got the preheat. Well, so you, right, right. But yeah. so to the customer, they just hit start. Well, so like, to what, the customer, but what's what happening happens behind when they push the scene? What's yeah. happening behind so the scenes? Like yeah. Okay, so we're, so we're an autoclave. Yeah. You know, like our button <laughs> just got pushed. <laughs> we slowly begin to heat, but the timer. The internal or the it's a visual timer, but the internal timer doesn't begin countdown until um, the ad- accurate temperature and pressure has been re- um, realized. After that happens, the timer starts its countdown. Then it, it won't even let you open it until it's depressurized itself. So after it, its countdown, it runs a cooling cycle. Um, you let that cooling cycle take place, and then when you open the when you open our autoclave, you. You have to do this um, carefully because they're under pressure, but usually when the, when the pressure is released, it lets you open it freely. You have to move this stuff right into the flow hood because you've just spent all this time, about 25 minutes plus cool down, to sterilize it. But if you just set it on a table in a room, the surface of it is now contaminated. If you were to set it on the table in front of your flow hood, it's still sterile. So everything you put in your autoclave, you set in front of your workspace. And the, the way we designed our SOPs, because it's such a, um, a limited workspace, we have the media preparation as its own um, linear comic. And so it gets you through the whole thing so that you can actually seal these vessels in the flow hood. And once they're sealed, it's safe to move them out of the flow. Then you can move into the next procedure. But um, after anything is done in the autoclave, it needs to either be closed in front of the flow hood or... Uh, worked on immediately in front of the flow hood because that sterilizes it for as long as it's in a sterile environment. As soon as you move that, you kind of lose the sterility. So like if you were going to take a culture off of a shelf, you would want to surface sterilize that as well before you move it into your, into your workspace, like that also being said. So like if you were to sterilize a media vessel, you move it in front of your flow hood, you seal it, and then you set it on a shelf and want to work on it a week later you would just have to simply surface sterilize this container. Now you could move it in front of your flow hood. Then you can safely open the vessel again. What would you sterilize it with? Um, alcohol is a really good one just for surface sterilization. Uh, if you have like, if this is like at your trap spot, like Clorox bleach or I mean, um, Lysol sprays work really good. If it's like in a, like a rec spot, I just stick with the alcohols. Um, in addition to isopropyl, um, ethanol alcohol works really good as a sterilizer, but isopropyl is pretty good. It covers almost all of it. Yeah, I thought that was really cool how we built an autoclave 
we purpose built an autoclave. It's kind of fun. It's really cool. Very I cool. mean, I knew nothing about autoclaves other than like my Instapot at home. You know, I, that's the only pressure cooker I've ever really used. Yeah. And it was pretty cool exploring this and figuring out how to make it as simple as possible. Cause you can get a lot of them out there and you have one in your, your lab, but there's like 20 buttons on it and dials and valves and all these different things. It's really complex and it's small too. And big, it was, I mean, the unit was this big, but the container is only about this big. So it didn't have a lot of like space to put stuff in. Right. We took, we tried to take the education part and like make it so simplified that they don't have to learn how to use a piece. Like you don't have to learn how to use a piece of equipment. You just hit start. You don't have to learn how your goal is tissue culture. Your goal isn't to be an autoclave technician, you know? Yeah. Because yeah. the numbers, the numbers, right? Sterilization happens at the 250 for at 50. Uh, you know, PSI, right? you could have some things sterile for 10. Some things have to go 45 minutes. Some things are at 10 minutes. Um, we have our set for optimum success for exactly the application we're using it for. Um, if we were trying to get into um, like a, things that are off topic, but different grains and things, people like to sterilize them a little longer. So if you are using this to do mushroom culture, you might want to just run two cycles, but that'll be it. Um, for everything we need, it's literally perfect. And that's what I was saying. It takes a lot of the guesswork out for the consumer. They're, they're already guessing enough just by like trying all this new stuff. They don't need to be worried about maybe I did that wrong. That's why it didn't work. Or maybe like I, I made the gel wrong. That's why it didn't work. Or maybe it was both of those things. There's just so many variables and what we were trying to release to the, you know, the public that we had to take some of the guesswork out for them. And that's why I was like to make the autoclave one button. It was kind of a kind of cool. Yeah. You're talking about the workspace in front of the flow hood. What's the size and what did you guys run in the R&D team as far as how far you can get away from the flow hood? Uh, we, so there's inside the flow hood, there's two filters. There's a pre-filter in the back. So the air comes in the back through the vent, the vent space. Um, the pre-filter uh, takes out big particulates. And then there's four big fans inside across the whole bank. And then there's a HEPA filter in front, right? And so it creates a curtain of air it goes out in the entire inner space and it comes out. We've measured it out to 30 inches and you have, uh, there's a, um, measurement called face velocity. That's pretty important when it comes to flow hoods. That's the speed that the air is coming out and moving at any, sir, at any point away from the filter face. So 30 inches out, our face velocity measures uh, 0.5 to 0.9 meters per second. Industry standards, typically most you see are about 0.3. I think the one at your lab is like 0.3, 0.4. So we're a little more aggressive. So you could actually probably work three feet in front of that and have a full sterile environment. Nothing's going to get in there. We should probably test that a little bit more. Well, like what I told people is I wouldn't advise you to, to do this outside on a windy day, but if you worked close enough to the filter, it might theoretically be possible. It would still be advisable for you to just, even in the back of a, Xterra or something, you know, I mean, even just to get some kind of additional um, support, because I guess if the wind was blowing right at it and fighting it, you'd be losing um, workspace. But just on a table in a closet, you pretty, like you said, you pretty much get two feet away from that filter. And then what is it on the width? Is it 22 inches or what's that? Yeah, it's about two feet across. And we've, we've tested it out too. I think your tests were out 24 inches. So we're confident that 24 inches, nothing gets contaminated. And we had, we tested it with like right at the edge of the, of the airline had some vessels right there and some vessels right there. And all of these got contaminated outside of it, just outside the space, and none of them on the inside out to two feet. And two feet's a lot of space. You can do a lot of work in that amount. So. Yeah, pretty much a two-by-two two area. 
Yeah. yeah, it'd be crazy yeah. in the in the future if we shot a laser. You know how like Mercedes shoots that shit. I mean, we would just have like a laser of your workspace, and it'd just be like as soon as you open the door, it'd just shoot it right there. That's kind of cool. So there's a visual repre- a visual representation of what the, the safe area. Yeah, but after you work with it, you'll understand right away. Um, the only thing we would advise putting in the in the margins of the workspace is maybe the um, the alcohol burner, like the alcohol burner flame. The uh, the airflow is so intense that that too close to the filter just sends the, the like the candle wick at, like towards It'll you. Blow it up. Right. So we kind of set it midway in the back and kind of right on the, right on the margins, but it's still a very powerful fan. I mean, it's a, it's overkill. Like Rob said, did you break that down in the SOP? Um, we, we show kind of where we put it, but um, in the visual SOP, we'll probably get into more of the nuances. Yeah. Like you said, it's already, it's already a 40, it's a 40 step cartoon SOP. And then there's going to be like, a little room for interpretation, but we tried to almost take all of that out. There might be like little things like this, but in the video, we'll kind of display that because you'll be able to actually see the flame in the video. Now, in regards to Maristem tissue culture, is that what you guys started all your stock with at Jungle Boys? Um, a lot of this, a lot of this initial inventory was done through Nodal and Maristem. When you're working in the flow hood. Do even doing Maristem tissue culture, there's a lot of nodes that you just have left over. If you cut a clone up, you'll have so much material. One clone can turn into 20 vessels, probably. A couple of callus vessels, a couple of leaf callus vessels, and a couple of Maristem vessels, and two or three node vessels. And these um, things like mimosa grew really quick and nodal, and I was able to just keep no- propagating from really... The, the nodal propagations were going so fast, they are busting the lids. But then like some of the older OGs took forever. And those are the things that we had to get the healthy nodes out and then maristem them out. Like um, uh, Wi-Fi 43, for example, was one that took a long time. And so did Skywalker, I believe. Um, nodal, our maristem propagation is really good for you to just reset a mother stock, especially something you don't want to have for the next six months. And then you could, no, you could propagate nodes from your maristem into other shooting and like our shoots gel. You can propagate those nodes into our shoots gel, and those nodes you're going to keep nodal propagating. If you already have a plant that's testing negative, you don't necessarily need to take it all the way back to Maristem. You don't need a six-month procedure. You can get away with just having backups of it nodally, and then you can take some out bi-yearly to retest for any issues. But um, for the most part, if you already have clean stock, there's, there's not a lot of need to do all that extra work. Um, if you know for a fact something's not clean, that's where you want to spend that energy. What's the difference between Maristem and nodal propagation? Um, it's where you're harvesting the material from. So Maristem is, has to be done with a microscope. Around 500X, we'll say. You could buy these online. You have to just zoom in at that shoot growth, the apical growth, and then you basically cut back leaves using your sterile um, scalpel until you've revealed this uh, the Maristem. It kind of looks like an egg. You can then this this egg is uh, um, detached from the vascular system of the plant, so it's theor- it's theorized that a lot of the the nasty stuff like viruses can't really reach that meristem. So once you harvest it from that material, you can place it on your sterilized gel and then grow a new perfect example. Um, whereas nodal propagation are small pieces that already have the meristem and the leaf. They're kind of like a head start on that, but if the plant was already sick to begin with, um, that maris, I mean, that whole bit could be contaminated. So if you're just propagating off contaminate, it's just the same as if you're propagating off a bad clone. 
if you just keep picking the weakest one and always cutting from that, you're going to end up with a weaker example of the initial individual. Whereas Meristem is supposed to give, is theoretically, I mean, we have to test it ourselves, but it's supposed to give you the most perfect um, virus-free on the first try. But a lot of people anecdotally are saying that might not be the case, you know, but there's just so much variable in this field. Um, is, it, is it just that the research hasn't been done yet or is it too difficult? Why do you think we don't know that yet? I think like we're still kind of, I mean, we like to think we're super advanced in everything, but, you know, like look back 20 years on any single anything, you know, like. The last podcast we did with Chris Duran um, and he was talking about what they're doing at UC Davis um, with the wine industry on grapes. And they said he was talking about that the grape industry uses Mary Stem tissue culture to clean viruses from plants. But they, he's also talking about um, they add ana, uh, antibiotics as well and, and some antiviral um, as well. But they, you know, the goal, I guess, was to get down to the smallest cells possible, um, essentially, which is meristem. With regarding meristem tissue culture, can a guy that has a too light, too light grow in his closet buys the Athena tissue culture kit, brings it home, how difficult do you think if we wrote an SOP on how to do Meristem tissue culture, would it be for that guy to do Meristem? Not difficult at all. I mean, I think having a two light at your uh, successful, even a two light successful grow at your house would be more difficult than having, um, having learned a new skill like Meristem culture. It's, there's not, the only thing that's difficult is having the, the equipment, like a little microscope on the side, uh, um, Right now, you could find a few of them all over Amazon, but these they'll plug right into the flow hood. Once you've sterilized the microscope, it could sit right in that pathway. That's that sterile flow of air. And then you have little, um, a lot of these things will come with little um, slides for the microscope. And you can do your dissecting pretty much right on a, the microscope I have at the lab is like a, like a school, like a, commu- a community college, USB, small kit how micros- much would it cost a microscope like that um see i thought i got a medium nice one and it was maybe two hundred dollars and like there's some is probably eighty dollars or fifty dollars um the night like you i would recommend trying it on a mid-level so you don't it's not so shaky and you're going to be able to zoom in well enough um we did an episode of can of cribs and i kind of showed how my microscope set up and it's in a secondary flow hood just for that microscope but having this flow hood is kind of that secondary flow hood. Having the portable flow hood is a secondary flow hood. Um, is the Maristem culture the type of thing I would recommend doing in the field, like on a windy day like we were talking about? Probably not. That's something you'd want to do and almost devote a whole morning to just do a couple of, of like either one strain, but just a couple of those cultures. Um, but is it achievable for like your average Joe? Absolutely. I mean, there's, we're just talking about cutting the plant in a different location. like. If someone who's pro at taking clones, if you told them to take a little bit smaller clone, then you know what I mean? Like, can you do it? They're going to be like, whoa, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Show yeah. me yeah. once. Yeah. Oh, just, that? Oh, done. I think, done. I think the, the industry has kind of been fed that TC is a lot harder than it really is if you have the right equipment. I think that, well, like a bunch of that is probably true, but at the same time, like we just mentioned, if you had someone who's never grown before and they're like, how, how do I grow? We would say, oh man, it's actually a lot harder than you could ever imagine because yeah. 
fast, like fast forward, it is, you know, like, how's your HVAC? How's your humidity? How's your everything? How are you managing these things? And they're like, what, what does that have to do with growing? You're like, oh man, that's everything these days. Like you're literally, you have to monitor all, like that's what growing is. Like you're, you're having these big rooms and all this moisture made by plants and you're trying to mitigate water like the whole time you're moving water to the roots or you're taking it out of the air or you're removing it from the buds when you dry it's like you become this kind of like aquaman yeah i'd say like the first time i even walked in the lab i was like blown away i was like dude this is like some crazy stuff right here you know but um it just takes patience you know and then like trial and you're just like mike was just telling me like you know you just gotta keep everything super sterile and like Everything you do with your hands and movements within your hands, you know, you just got to be very, like, meticulous in doing those. Aware. So, like, you just got to be aware. Yeah, aware. Aware of, like, where your hands are at. Mm-hmm. It's so kind of the like... Kit, it's just, like, laid out perfectly where it's, like, if you're following everything to the T, you'll get it. Yeah. yeah. So, essentially, you buy the Athena Tissue Culture Kit and a $200 microscope on Amazon... And have that follow, follow the Maristem SOP, which we'll be doing in, on a video and on a booklet. And you're doing Maristem tissue culture in, in your bedroom. That's, That's pretty badass. It's really That's sick. sick. Yeah. Because normally you have to send it to a lab, wait for them to do it. it costs a lot of money. Yeah. Guys are charging like five grand. Right? Maybe even more. And then on top of that, like... What if the employee who was doing it like hates his boss and he quit or like that lab went out of business halfway through or it jacks like, your cut or they take your cut the whole time and you get it back as well. But now there's like um, royalty agreements with some outdoor farm for your strain. Like, yeah, it happened. Mm-hmm. Well, it happened with that one company. I forget mm-hmm. what it's called, but Phylos. Yeah. They, yeah. they took a bunch of people's genetics and stored them and were able to do so because they had. Yeah, tissue culture, and so they're storing the hundreds of you know thousands and breeding from it. Yeah, they had their own breeding program they used that stuff for. I don't know any of the I don't know any of the back of that, but just like there's a there's plenty of opportunity for people to do good and evil. You know what I mean? And we're this is our like I guess something I wanted to bring up is like the demographic. Is my my goal with this is we do a lot more good because we're trying to enable the next generation of people try, who want to enter the space. Like, um, as it stands, if you were trying to get into the game, it'd be too intimidating just to become an owner of everything, figure it all out from nothing. But people would recommend you become a bud tender or a, um, a trimmer, and that's your way to work your, like Walt said, that's a good, that used to be the only way to work your way up into a, into a nice company and then show your worth. Start doing a job that no one wants to do and see how long you survive. Um, but now it's kind of like we... And we set this thing out so that people could learn a new task. And if people learn meristem culture and regular nodal tissue culture with our kits, there's plenty of, of opportunity for them. There's plenty of farms who need someone like this on site. There's plenty of farms who don't need someone permanently, but would like you to stop by every once in a while. So it's, it's a bunch of careers. And I'm, even people who take this home with big ambitions and their kids get a hold of it, you know, you know it's like a if that inspires them to go to school and learn something else, or if that inspires something out of it, like we don't want to just drop this kit and say, guess what? This is everything. Like, good luck. We want to say, if this inspires you, go to university, like go figure the next thing out. Like there's no, um, end all be all with science. There's no just like, 
well, that's that, you know, Earth's flat, yeah. or whatever. That's, Earth's, you know, like there's no just blanket statement you could make that says this is everything. It's kind of, we would be inspired if universities use it to educate students and vice versa. If someone grabbed this and it was inspired to become like a microbiologist and they go out and do ocean stuff, like all good. Yeah. It inspires curiosity. And it yeah. builds confidence. Right. Yeah. Like I was training our customer support team the other day and um, the great group of, of people. And as we got through it, they, a few of them asked, they're like, can I, can I do it? Can I try this? I want to learn this. This is really interesting just because it's cool and it's different and it's, I don't know, it just gives, it's something else that you can learn and expand your knowledge, you know, which is also pretty cool about our team that they all want to actually understand and, and, and learn the, the products that we have, you know, but, um, yeah, I think, I think it's going to inspire a lot of people, you know, um, and it's, it's a simple, we talked the word we used over and over again was accessibility, right? Mm -hmm. We wanted to make this accessible to people. And I remember at the show, there was a lot of people that came up and they're like, you know, well, I've, I've seen, you know, there's knowledge out there, tissue culture. A lot of people are doing it and, but it's hard, you know, it's hard to, to find all that information. And so we needed to make it accessible so that more people can do it. And these are the tools we, we made these tools, but now it's like, what can the community do with this? I think we're going to learn as a, as a group of growers, as the industry, we're going to learn a tremendous amount just by this being more accessible to people. That's what I hope anyways. Yeah, yeah that's definitely. Cool. Uh, Rob, you worked on the SKUs and what's to come with the tissue culture kit. Cause it's not just the one box TC kit. What are the other items that, that Athena is going to be offering in 23? Related to culture? Yeah. Related to culture. Um, well, I mean, we've got, there's all the, all the accessories and everything, right? So we've got the flow hood, we've got the autoclave, um, you know, we're looking at other ancillary tools like microscopes, you know, what is the right microscope? We've got to investigate that. Um, I think like Mike said too, there's other opportunities maybe for specialized media. Um, and again, this is going to come from what we learn, you know, what the, what the users are actually asking for. Um, the kit comes with a two tin packs, tin, uh, tear off packets of shoots, 10 of roots, which each packet will do six. So 10 times six. So each packet does uh, 60. You can take, yeah, 60 vessels with, you know, it's about 20 mLs or so um, of, of gel. Um, and then we have a, a bigger pack that's a 750 mL. And that will fill up um, uh, one, uh, one liter mason jar uh, with room for it to boil over. And that actually fits in the autoclave as well. So if you're doing bigger volume, uh, that's, it's the bigger pack size. So on that 750 pack, how many vessels will one pack do? One pack will do 30. And there's 10 per box. That's correct. So you buy one box, you can do 300 TCs. Correct. And how much is that one box? 120 bucks. 120 bucks. Yeah. So 300 TCs for 120 bucks. How's when, when you're looking at the market, as far as media and simplicity, how does that stack up on? Well, I mean, just out of the gate, right? It probably takes like an hour. If you didn't know what you're doing, it could take all day just to set up all that stuff and weigh it separately and then put it together and then mix it and then autoclave it and all that stuff. I think that just having the ability to rip open a packet and then also to be said, 
we chose the um, packet sizes to make them single use so that the product, there was no product deterioration because most of these things really don't even want to be together in an environment that has moisture in the air and most air has moisture in it. You find that when I, every time I tried to buy even the individual ingredients in bulk, I had to very carefully store them and like triple bag them. And even then some of the ingredients would cement up or harden before the next time I got to use them. So what we did is we picked two sizes, one that works perfectly with the kit and then one that's a little larger for when you get a little more comfortable or if you already have something going on. Um, and they're set to just, they're set to just a perfect single use so that when you rip it open, that's exactly what you guys, that's exactly what we want you guys to have. And when you use all of it, that's the product. Um, as opposed to having like these big vessels of, of ingredients that, like I said, you'd have to mix, you'd have to weigh out every single ingredient separate. You'd have to then store every single ingredient separate and hope that they don't spoil overnight if you want to try to buy in bulk. And it just became a, a nightmare, um, especially some of the gelling agents. They're just really... Uh, they're hard to work with. They're very hard to work with. And some of the ingredients are such a small amount that when you're measuring out, you know, the, the small packet has 3.6 grams of material in it. And that's all the stuff, right? So if you're talking about some of the nutrients, you're talking very small amounts of these. And how do you measure those and make them homogenous, you know, weigh them out, mix them together, small margin of error, you're not going to have the results. Right. That's one of the most difficult things about it, I think. And, and making it, you know, in that 3.6 grams, making it so that every packet has the same amount, really difficult. We had to grind it down to a really fine, uh, very small particulate so that it mixes evenly. And then the humidity issue is a really big problem because these ingredients are hydroscopic, right? The gelling agent likes water. That's what it does. So uh, the, the single use pack is super important, uh, but we really worked hard to make sure that each pack is going to be the same results every single time. And so we do these all in small batches. We can't make big batches of it. Uh, and then, uh, you know, the packing, even just in the packing, has to be in a humidity-controlled room, specialized equipment machinery, extremely clean, free of contamination. It's, it's quite difficult to, to pack these things up. And it's such a small amount, too. We don't want variants because it, it, the gelling consistency matters, too, right? We made some batches early on. You try to put the, the cut into it, and it's too hard. It's like it won't go in. Yeah, uh, there's it's too a, soft and it falls through it, right? Right, because that's a whole variable as well. Like you need to learn the exact um, consistency of the media that both supports the plant and also, um, you know what I mean, is, is not so overly hard that you can't put anything into it. So there's like a sweet spot we had to. And then we learned that, you know, like by doing trials, by taking um, material from both the top and bottom of the production batches and... Just like you said, it's a lot of trial and error. It was a hard product to to put together. And um, that's why like we set it up the way we did. That's why it's nice to have a single use that's successful every time. Yeah. And even the even the uh the gelling agent, we got I think we had ten or so different suppliers that we had product come down. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, that was a headache. Yeah, and there's all these different grades. And so as we're testing them out, you'd get two different suppliers, same grade. You mix it off the exact same amount and the gelling is different. And so each batch that we brought in, we actually have to test it and make sure that the amount that we're putting in is going to gel at the same strength. Um, Cause it's not very much difference. It's a very small margin of error. That was a really difficult. All right. We had Chris um, testing it on site over there. Then we had me testing it over here and then trying to, he'd be like, is, is that what batch is that? 
you know, is that batch, <laughs> is that batch Lucy? And I was like, you, what, what you guys named it Lucy. <laughs> he had like, Oh man, I wish Lynn, I think one was Lynn, one yeah. was Ruby, one was something else. Was the, yeah. Do you remember the one batch that he sent you that had no agar? To the agar okay. In and then here's like, it's not hardening up. Why is it? It was still warm. It was still warm. And I looked at it and I'm like, that has no agar in it. <laughs> and then he gets, and then Rob's already talking to Chris and he's like, hey, Mike said this, it's not done yet, but Mike thinks this doesn't have agar in it. And Chris is like, it does. What do you mean? I just said that no to way. you guys. There's no <laughs> way. And I was like, um. Then he found, <clears throat> he found the agar that was supposed to go in. Yeah, he found the agar. But the thing is, me and Rob were just, I don't know, Rob. Like, I'd like to believe, I'd like to believe what Chris is saying right now, but this looks <laughs> like Kool-Aid. hardening off. This yeah. looks like Kool-Aid. I think, and then he's like, just drink it. <laughs> you can taste it if it has agar in it. I'm like, nah, it's cool, dude. Then later he hit me up. Are you sure it didn't harden? Yep. And he's like, and then Rob hit me up. Oh no, Chris actually found the agar on the side. <laughs> well, no, that explains it. Yeah, it was tedious, man. We went through a lot of a lot of versions of that. Uh, each of the vendors, and then each of the formulas too. Because then we have to test. It's one thing if it hardens, and it's like finally we made it. It's hardened off perfectly. Now, now we got to make it. sure that it actually grows something too, and that all the ingredients are in there. It's going to sustain those plants, you know. And then it's got to work. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. So, what? In regards to the one liter pouch and making 30 vessels, what about other vessels? Where do they go to buy more vessels? Yeah, well, we've got all the, anything you need to refill from the kit, we have as refills. Uh, and the vessels, so there's two types of vessels. The, the, um, the utility vessel, which is the big one, looks like a deli cup. And the culture vessel looks like a, a pill cup or something. Uh, you can find those online, but I would caution people that, they have to be the right kind of plastic. You can get deli cups for super cheap at a restaurant supply or something, but they'll melt in the autoclave. So they have to be the right material uh, to withstand the heat because it's getting up to 250 degrees, pretty hot. Um, so we have the refills of those available. Um, you know, any the stuff like the razor blades, those things you can get on Amazon all day long. So we're not doing some of that stuff, but the stuff that was specialized that has to be done a certain way. We have refill packs the for all special that. plastic, special plastics, and the special glassware uh, to to fit in the kit. Those all of those we have replacements for. How what size packet can they buy, and how much is it for the refills on the uh, jars? I don't have that. I think it's fifteen bucks for twenty five pack. Twenty five twenty five uh, vessels, vessels. Fifteen yeah. bucks full retail. Yeah. And some of them, if you clean them, you can reuse them. You know, some of them are, some people like to use them only one time. They could be re-autoclaved. For sure, they could out. be reused for a small time person. They'd want to probably reuse them. When yeah. I first got going, I was using Gerber baby food jars. And then um, that's also an option. But uh, I had to like get a dish, like my first lab build out at, um, <clears throat> oh yeah, shout out to House Cultivar. That was like the first lab I built. That was like 2014 through 17. But I was using so many baby food jars that they got a dip. We had a dishwasher in the lab just so I could wash baby food jars essentially. And I had to like, I swear to God, half my job was running a dishwasher. <laughs> and then I would come home and like, if the dishes weren't done in my head, I'm like, I'm going to lose it. <laughs> I was just doing this all day. And I'm like, Roxy's like, I thought you're doing tissue culture. I'm like, same thing, same, <laughs> same thing, jars. same thing. So these things are either like reusable for you or like, yeah, some people treat I mean, the utility vessel is totally disposable, and that's kind of the benefit of those things because um, you could just toss them and move on. I mean, I'm sure that sounds awful, but the reusable um, vessels come with the kit. 
we would probably recommend a smaller guy to use them or just buy enough of them. And even then you're not going to want to dispose of them. You could autoclave them to, to clean them. After you've, after you kind of done like a regular dishwash style clean, you'd throw them in the autoclave in some foil. And now you have perfectly sterile, empty vessels for, cause that's the most important. If you're going to reuse stuff, you gotta, it's everything has to be extremely sterile. Yep. That's Remember it. That's that the one, that's that one the vessel we made the first batch we did. And you had a couple sterile ones there that were. Oh yeah, no, I, I was know like, what you're oh, gonna this say. is kind of cool. And I popped it open, and you're like, no, and I immediately shut it. It was only open for half a second. Yep. And two days later, mold all over the top, like that quick. I know. Um, I was joking. I'm like, well, keep an eye on that one. I'm pretty sure it's gonna go nasty on you. But it was gone. Yeah. So it's got to be super clean. Doesn't take a lot. No. Nope. With the uh, with the 750 pack, we have a special one uh, 200. 250 ml uh, vessel. The that, one that comes in it, yeah. Yeah. In that that extra larger 750 ml pack, what jar, what what vessel do you sterilize it in and what what, how, what do they do? Just a mason jar. A mason jar. Just yeah. you go Very to good. the grocery store, yep. buy a mason jar. One liter is probably better because when it heats up, it can boil over. So you want some headroom. Uh, you wouldn't want to fill it all the way. That's why we did, I think a one liter is better. gives you that space. A 32-ounce quart jar might be a little bit small, and it might have some boil over, but yeah. One liter. Standard jar. Yeah, grab a mason jar, one liter. We also have the utility vessels that are included with the kit. Three of them stacked fit in the autoclave, and they also will do that same amount. So you can mix that up in the... You can mix that up in like a separate container because mixing the gel doesn't have to be done sterile because you're going to autoclave it right after, and then pour it into three of our utility vessels that come with the kit evenly. And those stacked in the autoclave will now make that same amount of media. Okay. Or you can get one mason jar. That's one vessel to do it too. And the one liter mason jar fits in the autoclave, obviously. Yep. yep. That's cool. Yeah. What do you think the biggest challenge was, you know, over 2022 building this product? I mean, there's so many SKUs. There's so many parts. Because there's a lot of SKUs for sure. But just the parts. I mean, the the toolbox itself has thirty different items in it, you know, and and then the machine itself. There's the filters and the replacements, and and all of the nuances of you know the first version that we got of the flow hood was pretty janky. But we at the time we didn't know much about it. So we're like, oh, this is kind of cool. Now looking back, I don't even know where that unit is. It'd be kind of funny to go look at it because it was kind of a joke compared to what we have. So I think the difficult part, you know, a lot of it was knowledge transfer, learning from Mike, is I had a big learning curve and the team had a big learning curve just to understand what are we asking for? That was a big part. But I think the coordination of all of these different components coming into one space at one time to get all put into assemble, it's an orchestration. It's a dance. Um, we have about a dozen and a half suppliers that contribute to this and they're all making a different part of it. And they all have different timelines and different needs. And, um, you know, a lot of it is custom. You think about all the packaging, um, just the packaging alone. I mean, <laughs> the box has like 12 different parts to the box. It's not just a box because it's got to secure it and it's got to protect it because it's a heavy unit. The, the kit weighs 62 pounds. So is, that with the, make, is that with the autoclave? Yeah. Got you. So like, but just the flow hood itself is like 30 pounds, right? It's like 30 pounds, Yeah. And so if that drops, you don't want to, you know, it's fragile, it'll break. And so we got to have all this special packaging. The corners have to be blocked out and the glass has to be protected. And so there's a lot of those really small details that matter 
Um, it's different than making fertilizers, man. I tell you, <laughs> yeah, you know, that's yeah. some salts in a bag, uh, you know, and there's some complexity there, but this is so complicated, so many different parts and everything had to arrive at one spot to, to get finalized, you know, and picking the right design. I think those little, those little changes that you made. And I think that the team made with adding the light under the, yeah under the the opening of the flow hood was really cool kind of gave lit up the work area and then the first iteration it was just a regular you know a uh, black cover not glass oh it was crazy the first first was no was just a flow hood no toolbox no sfp so yeah. I was like, now what do you get? They're like, when Brian's like, what am I going to do with this? <laughs> I was like, okay, you, you got to teach it. You got to teach me how to use this. this I got to be able work. to do it. This doesn't work. Yeah, I yeah, know. So then we had to like, okay, well, they need all this stuff. Where, how does that come? Do they get a backpack? Like, <laughs> which might be actually <laughs> Remember cool. Remember that toolbox that was going to be removed? Yeah. Then yeah. We, we thought that was super slick. We were going to have a removable toolbox. But then what it... The, the design had it touching the filter. I'm like, you can't have the removable bit like rubbing on the filter. So then we had to redesign it so that it was more conventional. And then once we got into like the toolbox mentality, um, toolboxes are known to be rugged and portable and um, usable and like brought to places where people actually work. And so it was, it was pretty straightforward to make something that had that same rigid durability. Like you could throw it in your truck. Like... Will you like right when you get it new? Probably not. You know, like I have that, I have that one and I just, I keep it in the packaging box. I like literally will put it all the way back into the original box and then I move it around in the front seat like that. But after let's call it like next year or something, you know, like it gets its first scratch and you're like, okay, yeah, fine, yeah. like <laughs> just like everything. There it's gets, like a new car, right? There gets to be a point where you're like, oh my, I'm supposed to be using this thing. Like, what am I going to do? Just keep it in the box. I got to use it. Yeah. And it's pretty durable too, you know? Uh, the housing is all aluminum, um, tooled really solid. Uh, it's a really durable unit. I mean, you don't want to drop it from somewhere, you know, it could break, but, and it's a, it's a scientific instrument too, right? The, the inside the fans, you can actually take the filter out and you can see the fan housing. There's like a manifold that completely seals in the fans. Um, cause that first version, you remember it was pulling yep. air from all around. So it's these things we realize like that's going to contaminate. So we built this manifold and, it has to be sealed around the edge because otherwise air from the outside is going to get in and that's contamination. And so you want hundred percent of that air coming through that back filter and then going through that front filter. Pre, yeah. The pre, our pre filter system and the main filter. And then like what, yeah, someone like hits, hit some clouds. They like had a, they had a little vaporizer or whatever the hell that was like the little, yeah. the nicotine one that and yep. they, we sh they shot it at the thing. I think it was probably. Yeah. Not, Maddie was helping not us gonna name, I'm not going to name him. Or, <laughs> I think I probably blew a little bit of smoke at it too. I don't know. It's clean, man. It's super clean. Well, the first edition we had to figure out where the where the air leaks were coming from. Yeah. So just like you test a tire with like whatever soapy water, we were trying to just blow smoke at it. And then in, right away we figured out that the first rendition of the toolbox didn't it was getting like uh it was allowing too much air all the way around the side. So the smoke was not only going through the back, which it was supposed to. I mean, the fl airflow wasn't just going through the back, which it was supposed to. It was going also through the top, which was like almost bypassing our filter system. Right. You know, so we had to really redesign the whole thing again just based on that. And then by doing that, we also optimized airflow. We increased uh we increased a we added another fan, I think. Mm -hmm. And then Yeah, I think a lot of the the small things each thing has a purpose. There's a reason why 
you have that pull up um, shelf area that's lidded and it covers the HEPA filter and keeps it sterile and clean. Yep. It's really, really important. But people might not understand that, that that's in, really important to keep that sterile. Right. Yeah, we tried our best to think all these weird things, you know. Well, because it's also the, the like long-term success of the unit, right? These are going to be out in the field, and we don't want them failing. And so one of the things that came up early on was the first version that we got had a switch to turn the fan on. And we realized you could shut the door, cover the filter up, and the fans are still blowing, which yeah. is going to put back pressure, and it's going to make the fans probably blow out sooner. And then the switch is another weak spot. That thing could fail. So we had a lot of discussions about how do we minimize the points of failure on this unit so that it can last longer for the user. And it makes it simpler in manufacturing too, because that's another vendor. I got to get a switch now. And so now we can eliminate that. And so now you just open that up. The light turns on, the fan blows. And then when you shut it, it turns off because you don't need it on when it's shut. Right? So we went through a lot of these little things and we, we tore apart every single component of that. The out, and the times. outlets will still work. The external outlets on the side of the unit will still work uh, with the fan off too, which is something that's really important because let's say, for example, you're setting up something to do an autoclave run. You could fill the autoclave, which is conveniently plugged right into the flow hood. You could close the fan because you're done with that work because the autoclave has to do its 30-minute cycle. You could then leave while the autoclave's doing its cycle come back and then open the fan back up so you're not just leaving that running the whole time for no reason. Because that burns your filter up. Which just adds, yeah, adds more hours to your unit. And then um, in addition, we've also determined that with um, LED clone lights, the other free outlet would run the entire um, propagation rack. So it's like, I mean, I, I'm not good at numbers, but it, but the wattage of the rack we had at the show would have done perfectly fine plugged into the flow hood. So just with this unit and like a 10 by 10 closet, you can power, I mean, like with one outlet, even if you just had a, yeah. a dead outlet and a and one good one. You could keep a few hundred cultivars in a closet. Yeah, pretty with, much. With the VP dome. Yeah, um, you add it all together and now you have the whole system. You use the VP dome for hardening them off. You'd put that thing and then all your babies that just came out of rooting would be sitting in the VP dome, no domes. And then you'd have... Your culture vessels don't necessarily require um, any sort of humidity because they're sealed. So you can get away with them being set on the shelf. Um, the VP dome also adds another level of sterility, though, because let's say this is set up somewhere where there's going to be some traffic. Now there's not the additional like dust, the additional nonsense landing on these culture vessels. So if you were to keep them that way, you could open this up, take them out. You can still surface sterilize, but again, you're you're mitigating risk by not having them fully exposed to the environment. Yeah, at MJ BizCon, we had just tissue cultures in the VP dome, but that's yeah, not we what we had originally designed it for. No, we didn't. Yeah, we originally designed well, it for clones. So the VP dome, um, it's my baby right there. Uh, you know, years of just like cloning, using domes. You know, everyone, you know... Um, it's kind of a thing, you know, when you clone, you use domes to control that humidity and um, harden off the clones. And so um, I'd say like two years ago, we started kind of messing around with some concept ideas, um, kind of perfecting this uh, product through. So, um, yeah. Who originally sent you like the idea? Uh, Ivan. Yeah, Ivan, um, you know, we communicate through DMs pretty pretty often. So, um, you know, at the nursery, we've got 
probably like 25 clone racks. So picture like 25 clone racks all domed up using domes. Um, and then certain, you know, in certain different cycles, you know, a couple, you know, uh, 1800 uh, clones on domes, you know, day one through five, then you pop them up. And then the other set of batches, you got to do that. So for us, it was kind of just like um, trying to figure out a different way to maximize potential in the the nursery because um, we run a really lean group right there. So I got like one guy runs a clone room. So, um, yeah, it was just uh, going back and forth. And we found uh, these covers on Amazon. How, how long ago did that initial... DM come through two years ago, two years ago, yeah, from two years Ivan. ago. Yeah. From Ivan. Yeah. It was, um, and yo, try, Amazon. Yeah. Just know? try this out, see if it works, you know, and it's not, um, it's not something new, like the concept of like having a cover over, um, a rack, you know, there's some people use uh painters plastic around. They'll just wrap the, the whole cover over and, you know, they'll have their clones in there for a certain amount of days and they'll use that. Right. But then you're like, you have to take that off and, you know, do all kinds of crazy stuff. Right. So, um, I, uh, went on Amazon and, uh, found a couple of these rack covers, um, and then ordered a few of them, started testing them out. Um, but like, mo- you have to like modify it, right. You have to like do certain things to it. So all that went in through like, you know, the R and D two years ago. So we weren't really, I wasn't posting anything on Instagram about this. It was kind of just, I was doing it. And then I remember you, one day you've rolled up and you're like, uh, you know, you walked in the clone room and you're like, what are you doing? You know, like, what is this? I'm like, check it out, bro. Like, this is what I've been doing. Like, you know, it's, uh, I'm, I'm moving away from domes, you know, because everyone knows domes are, they're, they're plastic. You have to clean them you they're have to, expensive you know, the cost of them is is crazy you know um, throw them away after if you feed. forget about it if you like do all of them and forget one like that whole tray could be fried yeah that's like um there's a lot that goes into that right so um a lot of design went through just uh um, modifying these you know these amazon fabric uh covers right we got like several that uh one is just vinyl all the way around Right. So I tested that one out. Um, and we noticed that that's just builds up too much moisture and wetness and humidity inside that. Um, and I see that often, but then it's like, you know, um, went away from that one, went away from that design. Then we did like a fabric. This is all just like purchasing, you know, like the other cheap, cover, the cheap. How much uh, are they on Amazon? Like 40 they're bucks? Like 50 bucks. 50 bucks. They're like 50 bucks. Um, I found some spot local that like, you know, had them. So I was just like, um, just grabbing them, um, different colors and stuff like that. And we had to line the bottom of the rack cause you want it completely sealed. So you wanted like, so I'd have like, um, put a plastic trash bag, zip tie it over the bottom of the, over rack, the, bottom of the with rack with the $50 with the $50 cover and Super it's trappy. Yeah. It's just like, no, but it, he believed it, in the concept so much it he knew that he knew that that's he knew that it would work. So you had to like, he's like, oh, I'm close. Like, where is it to where it's actually going to be a, be something I could use? Right. Cause like just buying these vinyl racks and then not modifying them 
like in a, and we were like knew that this, this is probably going to work, but this isn't working. So what is it going to take to make it work? So let's do it. Let's let's roll something out. Let's you know let's perfect it, right? So take everything that I was doing with those cheap covers, and then let's make our own version, like a solid version of this because it works. Um, and that's kind of the concept of everything started rolling out. Purpose built. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Rob, you, uh, you worked on that project with Walt, kind of kept it organized, kept it flowing, product development. How many iterations did you guys do? Five, five or six. Yeah. Five or six different prototypes. Yeah. Uh, there was, I remember when Ivan came, he called me in over at the nursery. He said, come check this out. He's yeah. like, we need to make this. Yeah. And it was that trap version, you know, the plastic. Yeah, with, bag, the, but with the zip, the, yeah, zi- the, the zipper. zipper. Yeah, because the original the trap versions, you know, the, on Amazon, they have like a zipper, right? So like, how long is that going to like mess up? And we were like testing ours for like a year and it was already starting to fade. To and it gets too. janky. And yeah. that gets contamination in those sure. in the little parts there, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we we went through. So the first the first thing was like, let's get a more durable one, a better fabric. So we looked at it. You know, the different. Funny enough, the color actually mattered too, right? The gray ones molded out. the The clear ones had too much moisture. So actually, the color black made them was the best performing color. Who it thought? keeps the light, you know, and it only runs with LED lights. So the LED strips inside. Because if you were to put T fives in there, it turns into like an oven. It's just like, no, it's just too hot. The temperatures go over. So, you know, the Lux, product. The Lux clone Yeah, LED. the clone LEDs. Yeah. And that was like around the same time we were like using a lot. Design that designing light. that light. Yeah. Then it was like using these covers to start um, start doing a lot of clones out of them. So, um, yeah. it's uh, How many clones can we fit in one? Uh, well, we do um, 36 a tray. So it's uh, 16 trays of rack. Um, so it's 576, uh, clones per rack. I mean, anyone can, you know, there's different styles of cloning. So like if you want to, uh, plug a whole slab, a 96 or 50, 50 times 16, you know, it's, you can do a lot more clones in there. It's just our style and our program at the nursery at Jungle Boys has always been like 36 a tray for different reasons, but you can, you can do a lot more in there if you wanted to or less, you know, you can, um, you don't have to fill it up to every shelf has to be full with clones. Um, you know, the humidity rises to the, to the top. So, you know, I've told people already like at MJ, um, you can put four or three clone, um, trays up at top and you'll, you'll, reach your, you know, your cloning, your rooting potential within the clones. It doesn't have to be, um, uh, f- completely full. Gotcha. One of the big things we found out was with the, so we put the magnets on the doors because the zippers, yeah, we got were, rid of the zippers. zippers are bullshit. Well, the <laughs> magnets are the, some of the coolest parts, but it's the most expensive part. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's the most expensive part of the whole VP yeah. dome. Well, we had to make sure that so we wanted it to fold open. So we did three magnets on the top. So the door actually folds evenly and can fold out of the way. Cause that was the other thing on some of these is you'd open it up and then these doors are just hanging out over the edge, getting in the way. So the doors fold around, but we also had to make sure that the magnets aren't going to rust cause it's a high humidity environment and you don't want this rusting 
and then they would lose effectiveness. So these things are non-rust, more expensive, but it'll last forever, basically. Um, and it's one-handed operation, which is pretty cool because sometimes you're when you're in the nursery, you got other stuff going on, so you can just grab it, unvelcro the top, fold down the corner. And what we found Perfect. was with the, the two corners fold down, you can vent the entire dome without having to open the whole thing up because that humidity moves up through the top, right? And so everything gets ventilated just by folding those corners down. So it's super easy. Yeah, it's part of the SOP. Anyone cloning, you have to, you know, if you're using traditional domes, you know, after, you know, every day or every other day, pretty much you have to like burp them. So you have to take that dome off the clone tray and like kind of give it some fresh air, either wipe the dome completely dry or give it some taps to like, you know, give it some, some fresh air in there and then put the dome back on the clones. And you have to do that. That's part of like cloning with domes, you know, traditionally like to harden them, yeah, off. Harden them off. Yeah, yeah. Well, and Walt then, has like 50,000 domes. So he was going in there. Like, I was and like, then on a Sunday, I'd like show up just to check on the lab really quick and bounce. And then I'd, yeah, see, that's I'd what, see Walt. And I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, you know. Tapping domes. That, like, tapping domes, you know. Is that, and then, is that why all the uh, the I, Vegas prototypes that we took to Vegas disappeared? I, I came in to send one to my boy. Yeah. I'm like, hey, hey Rob, where's all the... Um, the VP domes that we took to Vegas for the show. He's like, uh, Walt, Walt stole them. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're needing them back. They're yeah. in use. They're yeah. in use right now, Literally, which is good, right? The one at MJ has was like one of the, you know, is the design that we came out with that was using a cycle of clones that and we had rooted them out. Back, yes. Yeah. yeah, I get a call I had to put it back. Rob. Those clones wanted their house back. Yeah, I get a clone, so call from Rob. Like, domes. yo, I need, um, we need that for MJ. And I'm like, well, can you guys wait for like a couple of days? Because I got some clones in there. And they're like about to get, you know, I can go, they're going to root. So yeah, a couple of days you can have it. So, um, it, the whole project's been really fun. Um, and just for us at the nursery, I said, we've always maximized like potential in our, our crew there. So for, you know, um, someone just to like know that that perfect environment, that microclimate environment within that whole rack, you, you don't have to worry about each individual dome, each individual, you know, tray or whatever that you can just open it up. Those sweet magnet doors halfway, five, 10 minutes or up to four hours. And just know that your clothes aren't going to droop because everyone knows like from domes, you know, take the domes off and they're just so tight in that environment that they like begin to wilt because they're so used to that nice, warm, like, you know, environment overly yeah overly humid environment so you take that dome off and then you have to like you have to watch them you know so that's like and if you miss it by a couple minutes then you have to put the dome back on stress and just them out stress them out right yeah. and also like um if you're taking clones of like say a, a slow vegging uh strain like mac right so you want to like um take those clones taller well that inside that dome you're limited to that space but inside the rack and your 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 setup you can take taller clones you know so it's kind of like also that's what we at the nursery found out we're like you know we're, we're cutting mac or cushments or something i'll tell the guys like cut them cut them a little longer you know but before i'd be like well all those if you would cut them longer all the leaves and the nodes at the yeah, top you're limited would be, seven inch dome yeah and they get all like wet and soggy at the top and that's even more you got to be on you know that whole burping style with the domes but with the 
VPD dome. It's just like, uh, just open it up and just rocks. From the Amazon $50 version that where it all started to the finished product six iterations later, what changes did you guys make? How many and what changes did you guys make? I mean, I think, I think every edition we made a change. So yeah. it was probably like, first one was color, um, fabric material, and then... What's um, the difference between the fabric material that you use with the VP dome and the Amazon one? It's, it's uh, thicker. It's thicker, thicker and it's micro... It a, yeah, so we had it's the 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 nylon itself is actually thicker, right? Because the the ones from Amazon they're really flimsy, super thin. Yeah, super thin. And, so it's more um, rigid, better breathability too. Yep. And then this has uh, two different layers of antimicrobial coating on it as well, um, that are geared towards different like bacteria and fungi. So it really it protects it pretty well. And those ones that you get, they're not antimicrobial. They're just meant for like baker's racks or something. Yeah, they're not double stitched like ours um, at the seams. So you know, you're not going to get any, um, excessive, like, you know, moisture inside the seams that will seams that will cause like mold or something. So we fixed all that. And we like, um, even put the Velcro, uh, tabs at the top. So once the clones are, you know, past day 10, which they're already pretty much rooted, you don't need to have it closed anymore. You can just open the doors up and then seal it at the top. So a lot of those, what about the bottom? How, how did you, you guys were oh, using bottom. trash bags yeah. before and that's, you know, doesn't look no. right. So the bottom is pretty, pretty dope. It's uh it's the same fabric that we used throughout the um, cover and it's uh, Velcroed to the sides of the actual cover and uh, magnets on the bottom. So it's like, it's snug. So there's no um, air or anything that will, um, you know, go inside the bottom of the rack. So it's very like. Yeah. I remember going over there and seeing you guys. I was like, you guys were, I think you were on iteration number three or four and you were adjusting something at the bottom. I'm like, dude, this thing's sick. Like it's perfect. And they're like, no, it's not right. (laughs) It's not right. Like don't take pictures of it right now. Yeah, (laughs) We got to like change this bottom. How Oh, the twists, the ties. Yeah. We had, we had instead of ties, the first one that was before ties and they kept tearing and before, yeah, before Velcro and the magnets, we, we just had these ties that you would like, you know, secure um, the bottom part to the rack. But if you, you know, um, didn't tie it, then like if you're moving this rack with wheels and it would get caught or something like that. That's why I like noticed and the Velcro and the magnets just like Plus seal way better. Plus a pain. I yeah. It doesn't make sense. We came out with a way better uh, and design. And it's a better fit too, right? Yeah. Once we did the Velcro, because the Velcro is over the edges of the rack and then kind of connects to itself through the rack, through the mesh. And then there's Velcro around the edge. So the top hood comes down and it Velcros all around. So it's a full seal. And then magnets on the front. So when you pull those doors shut, they just and click shut. That's cool. That's the coolest part. The magnet, magnets all on the top, all down the center, and then on the bottom. That way you're not zipping anything. You're not touching anything. You're just strapping it, pulling it around. It all just comes apart. And it, that's the, probably the coolest part. Yeah, it's pretty I mean, sweet. It's and really strong cute. enough to hold it up because like a, yeah. the earlier... Earlier editions, like they would flap open and then eventually 
I remember Rob was like, all right, we got to get real deal magnets now. I learned we more about some, magnets than I thought. Yeah, yeah he was telling me about magnets. <laughs> I was, like, I was hoping right, we didn't have to go, go pro, but we got to go pro. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to use magnets. I'm like, that's dope. All right, let's do it. I was skeptical, but the new magnets are really, really nice and they're which strong. Jumped, which jumped the price of the unit, you know, quite a bit. I remember yeah. you hitting me up. I'm like, they're that much? Yeah. Jeez, bro. We got to do it. But they also had to hold it shut because one of the things you found was that venting. Right. And the weak magnets didn't hold it. You'd pull the corner down and the whole door would just fall open, right? So we wanted to make it strong enough so you can can vent it like that. Some of the compromise you have to make, but we wanted to make it easy and long-lasting, you know? Yeah, we did a a time-lapse video where it took me like four (laughs) minutes to uh, burp and, you know, do that process with traditional domes. And then with the VP dome, it's just like... Open it's it like 21 and then seconds. like 21 seconds, it's like, just open it up, let it breathe, close it back up, check your clones. That's so it's like five, it. four and a half minutes compared to 20 seconds yeah. on efficiency. On efficiency. Yeah. And so break ten, that down. Times, times 25 racks or whatever he said. Yeah. Times a period of time. And then, you know, you know, uh, the, our facility, uh, that clone person in there can attend to other things in the nursery and then come back. Right. It's just not a whole day spending, you know, time with these domes and then cleaning the domes. Also, you got to sanitize the domes. You got to do all that stuff with the rack. Each cycle, just hit it with the reset or, um, you know, alcohol bleach or anything like that. And just clean thoroughly throughout the tent, throughout the cover and ready to go again, ready to go again. And you've been running one of them for, I think, one of the original prototypes for about a year, probably. a year and a half now, a year and a half now. Yeah. And it's never molded. Like even in the edges behind the bars. Yeah. No, right? no, no molding. Have you with ever taken ours. it off? Yeah, we have. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. How often yeah. do you take it off to clean it? Uh, completely off of the rack. Um, I've probably taken it completely off the rack, maybe, you know, twice or something like that, but you can clean it while it's on the rack. So you don't really necessarily have to take it off of the rack. You just, keep it on and then once it's empty then that's when you go with the spray and you're cleaning behind the behind the rack and the lights and things like that and then that's it you know um it doesn't take very much time you know it saves a lot more time than going through a bunch of domes on the final version that you guys have right now is there an increased success rate or it's about the same with the domes increased increased success rate increased yeah do you know about estimated percentage as of now? I'd say like 90%. You have a 90% yeah. success rate total. Total with clones. Yeah. And then what was it with just the domes? I mean, it was still pretty close. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But just in, you're getting, you know, you're getting a way better success rate because of just that like microclimate of like that perfect humidity and temperature inside that whole rack is way better than that tight dome stuff with those clones you and know so it's corners, just like pretty much the four corner clones on every dome like potentially just get knocked out or they're the ones that like when you put the dome yeah. on it pinches a leaf <laughs> yeah. and it like bends the thing in half the dry down period is a lot faster with the vp dome um you know day five or six you're gonna already have to saturate them so you're just l- really letting them ride heavy until they're dry and then hit them and then day nine you should start seeing roots already and then onward. So it's, uh, for us, like I said, it's, it's game changer for sure. And I know it's going to be a game changer for a lot of other people, um, that use domes 
and that are in the style of like cloning. They learn the they learn the um, tent. They figure out how to do five hundred clones with the mentality of one. You know, like as opposed yeah. to thinking, yeah. like you said, as opposed to thinking of like it took a lot of people to understand. Like you treat a tray. You don't treat like every clone in the tray. Like I remember people were like taking the clones out. Why isn't it rooting? Like, but what are you doing? You're treating, you know, you're rooting the whole tray. And now it's like, no, you're rooting this whole, this whole tent. And then from here, there's 500 to 800 um, clones that are in this individual. So now you have like this propagation machine and it doesn't take very much for someone to learn that. Yeah. I liked it also because when you can roll the shelf from the clone room, you can maybe possibly roll it through a flower room where you don't want your clones getting contaminated from your your flower stock or... Or to a flower room and you can throw it in a box truck. Yeah, exactly. So you can roll it, you know, into a box truck, you know, go on the lift gate, fill mm-hmm. up a box truck with clones and roll it back out. I mean, you're rolling 600 cuts into a box truck instead of you know, 16 boxes. I mean, remember when we used to put the garbage bags over yes. each dome? We used to, yeah. So all kinds of tricks. Rob and I cut a lot of clones. God, that was the worst. <laughs> Rob and I had this little clone yeah. thing going on and we used those white trash bags yeah. with the red ties or mm-hmm. the orange ties. And, um, see right through it's Stop perfect it. well it works great and you'd have to you know open up the trash bag pull the trash bag over the thing tie it and then we'd stack them like three high on top of each other four high wouldn't work it'd collapse yeah three high yeah yeah three high is the max and that's how we'd, God, we'd rock our things hard. and, and then you know, have to cut them open at the other end yeah and then you're throwing the trash bag away or you're trying to save them and then you have all this pile of old trash bags but it would have been way nicer just to roll out a rack and throw it in the Pull back the of the box truck. Mm-hmm. Oh, that would have been a game changer. Or even game if you didn't have to hide it, the alternative is what people do is kind of like what Walt mentioned. They just um, almost like saran wrap the whole rack and that kind of prevents the the trays from sliding out. It hopefully prevents some kind of, but the top of the rack's always still exposed and as well as the bottom of the rack. So even with just, you know, like shipping style, um, this is just the whole cover. Yeah. Purposely built. Yep. Yeah. VP dome. That's cool. It's going to be uh, that was a fun one. And it textiles, was like working with textiles, fabrics weird, right? and yeah. plastics and Velcro and magnets. The yeah. It was uh, and getting it. Remember the one we got one? It was like three inches short. Oh, that like, was, was yeah. Short. The trays it's, didn't fit. You know, the doors didn't close with all the trays inside of the, the rack. So, you know, Rob drops this off and I'm super stoked and I'm like, cool, I got another one. All right, guys, like, you know, this like, is the one. get this rid of these the domes, one. you know, like throw those domes ready, ready, you know, and then loading it up. And I think we took cuts that day. Yeah, we did. Yeah. We took cuts that day. And the guys like hit me up and they're like, hey, well, like it's not closing. And I'm like, what do you mean it's not closing? It's and the one. <laughs> so, it's like, so like you had to go back and like, oh, all right, we adjust, you know, measurements on the doors to properly seal the whole thing together so um, yeah it was definitely a fun project and um people you know people see all right we launched this product at mj or we launched this product in general but they don't realize all the time and work and mistakes and everything that went into making it perfect it's just there's so many so much work behind the scenes and um 
That's what everything we do. Every product that Athena's dropped has been tested throughout Jungle Boys and throughout many flower rooms and, you know, labor hours and all kinds of stuff. Right. So it's like, we're not, we just don't release anything just because it's like something like we put in the time, we put in the work and at MJ, that was cool because like Mike and I were both there and that showed like, you know, the, the community, you know, we put this together. Mike did the TC kit, like did all that. Walt did the VP dome. Like that's genuine, you know, connection with those products. So that's, you know, super cool. It's cool to see where it all started too from that first podcast that we did together and kind of where it kicked all off. And now we're launching products at MJ and they're, you know, I think, you know, a lot of these products are going to disrupt the industries that they're in for sure. You know, the, it's definitely a a disruptor. Um, The TC kids definitely disrupting the tissue culture game. I mean, I don't think the TC game will be the same ever again after, after this gets out there, in my opinion. So. No, I feel that way too. And I feel that it's going to allow, like we mentioned before, a lot of just like people to, to excel, you know, and that's going to give a whole new opportunity where one wasn't there. And it's not just like, like you got a kit, like people are going to make things with these kits. They're going to make something of themselves with these kits. It's kind of a, it's kind of a trip to think about like that. It's like a book on how to do something new, you know, but it's a tool and just kind of like enabling young kids or enabling old dudes with a couple of OG cuts, you know, old timers who's just been growing forever and don't want to even pass that out or don't want to have someone come to their, their house. It's just, oh, that's cool. You know, we got a lot of great response at the show. Um, and it was mainly like that. It was people asking, can I learn how to do this? And I'm like, well, look at the, um, look at the cartoon we've made for you guys. What does step one say? And they're like, rip open the packet. <laughs> okay, we're we're halfway there. What's step two? Put it in and add water. Okay, what's step three? You shake it. I'm like, wow, dude, you're killing it right now. Like, yeah. You're killing you the game. You're killing the game. Yeah. yeah. So that was, that was that was hit me up. That was the like, fun part. They're like, I'm really excited because I can now. I'm gonna start a little TC business. I'm gonna start doing cuts for people. Do it. How, how would they have done that before? I mean, they could have, but again, it's really really complicated, and there's a lot of things to it. So. Uh, it's cool to hear that, you know, people getting inspired, finding new revenue sources for themselves. Cause let's be real. It's been pretty tough for a while for a lot of people. So this is another way that people can, you know, add their skills to the industry. So it's pretty dope. And when you and I sat down and went over the pricing, I remember that call and you're like, look, what should we price this thing at? I'm like, what can you buy it on Amazon for? Like how much is a flow hood on Amazon? How much is an autoclave on Amazon? And, you know, we were getting ranges. I mean, where it'd be, what, two grand for an yeah, autoclave. For a decent unit, yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, depending on the flow head, between 800 to, you know, upwards. A couple grand, too. Yeah. I don't know what that one you had cost, but it was like three grand, I think, wasn't it? It's pricey. We have a $12,000 one, and then we have another one that's a little cheaper. The portable one's like... Maybe like fifteen, sixteen hundred bucks. But that's I mean, not it's not portable. portable. No, it's like I shouldn't say portable. I should say the small one. The only <laughs> the portable one. one we have is ours, and that's that. that and, the, and then it, it's like the third um, generation of itself too, because the original ones were just super heavy. Yeah. And I remember saying like, "This isn't portable," because I'm big. Like Rob, you're strong enough. Like 
it shouldn't take both of us to carry this thing it's in. It's so bulky. It was this big. We had to move it. So, we moved that one out of the way to put ours on, right? Yeah. That's, and someone was like, why is that um, so small? I'm like, because it's 30 pounds and we want to make it so everyone can lift it. We want to make it so it took us a lot of generations because the larger ones were disappointingly heavy. The first one was 53 pounds, I think. The first one, it was all metal and like just super heavy. Yeah, and just imagine like someone like someone smaller kind of trying to lug this thing around all the time and then look professional when they get there. Like, work for you. Just let me start the autoclave for a second. <laughs> just need like twenty five. No, but we we wanted to make it affordable for everybody, and I remember people's reactions at the show, and they're like, "How much is it?" I'm like twenty three hundred bucks full retail. And it's just like. What? Oh, just for the just for the flow hood? No, it's the whole thing. The whole thing is twenty three hundred bucks. Like you can now do tissue culture for twenty three hundred bucks, and you can have it forever and do as many as you want. It costs more to do one strain. It costs, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, yeah, you don't have to ship it anywhere. Like, just try it. And like, I mean, even like the first time you fail, you're gonna learn. Like, you're gonna feel like so smart. You're gonna be like, that's it. You know, like I know. And you're almost kind of like when I was talking with Alex, you almost know where you failed. You're sure. like, the container opened. I'm going to run it. Okay, I'm not doing that again. Next and time then like you it right. see it, and you're like, oh, maybe that wasn't good. Or you're like, I'm going to reuse this. I did an autoclave it again. I'm going to run it. And then you're like, all of a sudden, 12 of them yeah. are rotten. You're like, what batch was that? You'll learn to like mark the ones that you mess up on even, like just to try to like dial in where the little fun variables are. But um, yeah, it's super cool. Super, super cool. I think it's cool. One of the things you said too, because uh, at the show, there's a, some guys that had big labs. I talked to a couple of guys that just set up these massive labs, $50,000, $80,000 labs. And even they wanted one of the units or a couple of them. And I asked them, why do you want that? They said, well, because I, my autoclaves are these giant tabletop or uh, flows are these giant tabletop units. I can't take this anywhere. And a lot of times you want to go out into the field and do the sampling and do the work right there. I talked to one guy, old, old dude, been doing this forever, you know, and he had an old portable unit. Um, uh, he, he wanted ours though. <laughs> um, but he used to take it out to the to the customer site, take the cuts and go back to his hotel room and do all his culturing just at the hotel room on the road. So I was, I'd never, I didn't think about that, but what a cool use of it, you know? Yeah. Um, it goes right in your car. It, weigh, it doesn't weigh very much. Um, you could take it. And then we are saying the filters are pretty, um, Affordable too. We made the filter replacements very affordable. I think they're like a hundred dollars for the pre-filter and main filter. So if you were to go and do a job where you know they have mold issues or bug issues or something like that, you would just ask for the price of the filter. I mean, even like homey hookup would be, hey, I'll do it for free, but it's gonna cost me like a hundred dollars in filters. Is that cool? And then the who would say no? Who'd be like, no, $5,000 at the other lab. No, I want you to pay for your, you know, disposables. Like, so it's kind of made it so you could go and do these jobs. You could replace the filters. You can clean the unit. You could bring it back to your location. And now you're just as a, the alternative would be you go out, you get cuts, you bring them back in a, a Ziploc bag, hoping that, you know, like whatever, you know, like, and then you, then you bring those into your flow hood and your workspace that you've already designated clean. That's never left your lab. So yeah, for people with this, for people with established, um, labs, this is just like your portable collection device or your portable. If you had to, you can go and do work the whole process remotely. But, um, if you already had a nice $50,000 lab, this is just what you would use to collect samples and then bring them back and then not to 
almost like disrespect your beautiful clean space with this dirty material because you've already had it sealed up. And if they, essentially, if they did, wanted to do, you know, 60, 70, 80 tissue cultures in one run, all they need is more workspace, right? Uh, under the flow hood, essentially. Um, yeah, but they wouldn't even want to, like, you could probably pour out damn near that many vessels in front of our flow hood. I haven't maxed it out, but you probably could. Um, you would probably, you'd open it up and you would just set the sterilized vessels the, you would just need to prepare this work. And that's kind of like why we broke it down to explain like why we're making the gel first. We're making that, closing it, making it sterile, setting it aside. You can go ahead and make 60 of those in advance. Do you think that 750 ml mason jar run of 30 units, because that's what it does, 30 vessels. Oh, this is like a, is this a math? For, this is I, like it's a, not math, but it's, it's like, going could north, you, northwest. You know, could you, <laughs> 45 miles an hour. Could you do one full 30 TC run with the flow hood that we provide? Yeah, you could do 30. You, you could, could do, do 30? Yeah, that's, for sure. I mean, oh, just in that workspace? Yeah, because yeah, you sure. could do six across. You could probably, there's how, how many inches are they? Like three uh, inches yeah, in diameter? The small one's about an inch and a half. So it'd be like, we have 24 inches. So you could do six across times at least 18 rows. Right, so you could do some serious production. You could sure. probably do, you could probably the, do that flow yeah, all yeah. 60. You could probably do all 60 just right there in the workspace. And when you're taking your cuts, you're only doing like a couple at a time. But when you're doing the media, you could... You would do, mass produce the, the media. How that would look is you would sterilize those vessels first, the empty ones. When you could use aluminum foil, which is also something we've mentioned that's not included in the kit. So when you go to prepare, you'll grab aluminum foil, you'll grab gloves, you'll grab like a a COVID mask. And those, that's kind of like what we put is like, we're not giving you the guys these, but every grower has kind of got those laying around. And so like with your aluminum foil, you'd be closing these vessels. You'd be autoclaving them in advance and you'd just be setting them in front of the flow hood. Then you would make that media. Yeah. Then you would take it out of the flow hood and then you can sit there and pour all 60. 30. Then, whatever. Yeah. You could do two packs. Yeah. Yeah. Then close them all up. You're not going to be cutting the plants over this. You're going to just be pouring these out, capping them. Oh, that's then right. Go like this. Then you can go like this. Gotcha. Boom. Preparing you can push all, all that. 60 out of that work split. You know what I mean? Now that they're all over here. Now we're cutting plants up. Chop, 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 chop. And then pulling the vessels in, opening them up, and putting... How, yeah, so now you can make a hundred, you can make a thousand oh, of these So things. you, yeah, you could keep going. Yeah, and then that's why we wrote the, our little standard operating procedure is written so, you so that you're making vessels 60. first. Mm. In one run. Yeah, you could chop up plants. See, the plant thing is a little more time sensitive. Like when you're starting to work with plants, you're going to want to do it like within a 12-hour period or something because they don't like to sit underwater for a day or two days. I mean, you could try to test it, but from my experience, after a day, they kind of get a little soft. Yeah. But like the gel, you pre-make a bunch of our medias. You can pre-make a ton of shoots and roots. Some people will keep them in the fridge. You could have a whole refrigerator or a whole rack if your room's kind of cool enough with just pre-made roots and shoots. You could just start making those. And then on the day you decide to take your plants, you could have 10,000 of these or whatever you want to have. And you go, all right, cool. I'm ready to start my business. You know, bring on the clones, you know, and then you just go like, all right, 10, I'm going to put a hundred and one. So then why the whole big old lab? I mean, essentially, I mean, that's <laughs> the why, why make it all complicated? Well, let's say you get good at this and you're like, that was fun doing 60 of them and then moving it. And then now that, but they make flow hoods like that are the size of pianos. So now you and someone sitting right next to you can do it. 
And then in addition to that, just instead of racking, like imagine someone just has this in a 10 by 10 closet. That's the perfect size lab for like a three strain operation because you can have a hundred of one strain on every shelf. So now your four shelf thing, you're doing three to four strains. You're only, you're kind of selecting. But the more space you have, the more selection you can do, just like anything else. And then as you get more comfortable working with this, maybe one day you do want a $50,000 autoclave, just that one piece of equipment, because you're like, this business is taken off. I need to do, again, 10 liters and 100 vessels in one shot, you know, because I got, I got to make that 10 times a day to keep up with demand. Yeah. So like you expand as your knowledge expands. But I guess it's dangerous to like put a few million dollars into a lab without understanding what you're even, you know, like getting into because maybe you determine that like your te- you finished all your strains and your value is actually somewhere else, you know, like, so what are you going to do? Like tell everyone to come to your lab in Utah or whatever state, you know, it doesn't matter, but it'd be a lot easier if you had a way to mobilize over there and then they're going to be like, Hey, I love what you do, but either stay or help me build something, you know, and you could either tell them to get the mobile hood or you could tell them like, all right, you know, here's a reasonable price float. You could help them even then just consult the whole lab for them just based on your knowledge from working with our kit. Stepping baby steps. Yeah. And this is the first step. This kit's the first step. Cool. I appreciate you guys is, uh, for sure, dude. Time to come out. I know you guys are busy. Um, it's going to be interesting 2023 with seeing what comes out of these new products and uh, seeing, you know, the people's success. We're going to be translating this procedure into a lot of languages as well. What languages are you guys going to be doing right off the bat? Spanish, Thai, uh, French uh, for France and Canada. They want that. Uh, and probably Portuguese, because um, we got a lot of interest in Portugal. And then um, Brazil's actually coming online pretty soon, too. And that's a pretty big population. And they're new, and they're trying to figure out how do we, how do, we do this thing, right? Yeah. And so this is a good entry point for, for them, I think. And they don't have genetics down there, so it's going to be really important that, especially in environments where they don't have good genetics, like you were saying at the beginning, this is where you can ship a little culture all over the world. And so... I think those markets are really going to tap into it um, because they're going to be able to expand that library without having to deal with the seeds where it's maybe a little bit more difficult to get them and clones are almost impossible to get in these places. Um, so yeah, that's where we're starting, but we'll see, you know, where the demand is too. We'll translate into any language we want. We just want everybody to be able to use this, you know? Yeah. I think that it's going to be important doing the videos in, in, in all the languages I mean, it's a lot of work converting all those SOPs and the boxes and the everything into those languages. And we're going to, I know that's at the top of your list starting in January. So, and a lot of people could learn from one unit too. So it seems like if it went someplace where there wasn't a lot of access, you know, like even just one of these can, could disrupt that whole industry, you know, like even just one of these, you can be looking over someone's shoulder while they're doing it and still know enough you know, if you've watched them long enough to still know enough and go and figure out what you need to achieve this kind of thing somewhere else. Or, I mean, it's just like, like we were talking about, just super cool to see how many people it's going to enable. Right on. Thanks guys. Well, yeah, thanks for having us. Rob, appreciate you guys. Later. Later, right. Later bro. See you. Thanks, guys.